0: Interesting times for the RTS community, everybody. We just witnessed the announcement of Stormgate, the big RTS uh, by Frostgiant, the first game from Frostgiant. It's supposed to save the RTS genre, and we're all excited about what we just witnessed. And for that, we want to learn more. We want to talk about the game, we want to talk about Frostgiant, and who better than Kevin Dong, aka Monk, formerly Team Liquid, formerly Blizzard, now Frostgiant, joining us here. Kevin, how was uh, the first impression and what are the first reactions to the big reveal we just witnessed?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, Neo, I'm excited. Neo, you guys are excited. Everyone is excited about the big Frost Giant reveal, hopefully. And I can't wait to sh- share with both you and the rest of the Warcraft 3 community um, about what our game is really about.
0: Exactly. First of all, we cover uh, you a little bit. What are you doing at Frost Giant? What's a typical day for you? What are you responsible for?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a lead designer here at Frost Giant, focusing primarily on gameplay. So what I like a lot about my job is every day is a little bit different. And uh, for example, some days I'll be designing units other days I'll be designing an economy. Other days I'll be interfacing with either the engineers or the, the artists about the look and the feel of our game. Um, But yeah, it's basically uh, everything uh, everywhere. All at once. If you've seen that movie, one of my favorites.
0: (laughs) Pretty, pretty I've heard it's life
2: changing. I haven't seen it It yet, but that is is literally (laughs) what I've heard. It's it's an incredible movie, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to watch it. We'll talk about it next week.
0: So as a lead designer, you're um, you're still doing all the stuff yourself and not just delegated to other people?
1: Well, we have uh, an incredibly talented team here at Froschite, many of which uh, came from StarCraft II and from WarCraft III. For instance, our game director was the lead campaign designer of Warcraft Three, um, and the rest of our team, uh, we have Ryan Tudor who uh, made Game Heart, who created like, uh, who is the inspiration for I know many of the overlays uh, from Back to Warcraft. Um, he's kind of uh, one of the first people to really do um, uh, esports. Uh, uh, overlays and observing and in, in, uh, built right into the engine um, just a lot of talent people people over from Starcraft and a lot of like built-over uh, knowledge and experience about RTS design on our team which I'm really proud of
0: Yeah, speaking of RTS uh, a lot of people in the gaming community say that it's a dead genre and now you're here you're starting a new company you're still working on RTS are you guys mad
1: Oh, we, we couldn't be happier. I think RTS is in a prime position to uh, come back into the limelight. Um, uh, us as a team, we of course love Warcraft 3, we love Starcraft 2, and we can't wait to show the next iteration and the next evolution of what we believe RTS can be.
2: Why do you uh, think it is that, that RTS is sort of not as popular as it once was? Because like, it was po- super popular 20 years ago, and it sort of maybe maybe died off a little bit. It's certainly not as popular as, as MOBAs or FPS, for instance. Why do you think that that is in this day and age? Is it like attention span, or is it just different games come around? What, what's your opinion on that? Um,
1: I think one of the biggest things, it's uh, t- to frame it a little differently, I don't think necessarily that RTS is less popular, um, mm-hmm. and it's more that Other games have become more popular. Gaming as a whole has evolved so much over the last 10, 20 years, um, such that it's like maybe a a factor of 10 bigger than what it was before, whereas the RTS scene has uh, remained uh, relatively um, constant in player base. Um, However, uh, here at Frost Giant, we're trying to kind of take the lessons learned from the last 10, 20 years of gaming. You know, no one has really made like a really big super uh, RTS ever since StarCraft II came out can you believe it, 12 years ago? And we're going to try to take some of the les- lessons uh, learned in the last 10, 12 years um, in order to make that evolution. And the one of the biggest parts about that is uh, that Stormgate is going to be uh, what we believe one of the first social RTSs.
0: What's that supposed to mean? What is a social RTS?
1: Yeah, so back on StarCraft II, um, we we got a lot of feedback that even though it was a technically a multiplayer game, a PvP game as most people think of it, um, it can be it can feel very uh, uh, solitary. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of just hang out by yourself. Um, in the very beginning, the chat um, the chat system wasn't as robust, so um, you kind of felt like you were playing by yourself. The main way you play it is. Um, in a one v one PvP competitive mode, or um, in a campaign setting where you play against the AI. Um, in in the last like 10, 12 years, social gaming has become such a big thing. Um, you can you see it with examples like Among Us, with Fall Guys, um, with like CS:GO, uh, like League of Legends, all these MOBAs. Um, all these games are great social experiences that you can bring your friends into. And that's a lot of what we're trying to capture. So for every game mode that we have, and uh, we're built on four pillars, competitive, cooperative, campaign, and user-generated content, each of these four pillars, um, one of our, with each of these four pillars, one of our main design philosophies is trying to bring some of that uh, social element to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we in the Warcraft world, we have a little bit of four and four hype going on at the moment. It's pretty much the best example that can work right it's not ultra competitive in uh, four and four except the latter of course but there are no tournaments is that something you took inspiration from
1: yeah totally i think the how warcraft 3 4v4 has developed in the in the past year even has truly been inspirational for us at the team um just the fact that um number one Games are trending in that direction. People don't necessarily want to play hardcore 1v1 anymore. Even the pros from both the West and China have really jumped on the 4v4 train. Um, another interesting aspect is the um, the idea that. Um, uh, the idea that um, there's a lot of teamwork evolved in these four v four scenarios, and we've really seen the meta evolve. I think back in the day, like everyone kind of did whatever they wanted, they did their own thing. Whereas mm-hmm. these days, you have like these these roles that each race has, um, like the humans. Oh, you're responsible for like the knights or the the anti air or the spell or the the night elf. You're responsible for the tank units, um, and I think that's really interesting and in lessons that we learned. And um, one of the things that we're doing, especially in um, in uh, the Frostshine RTS Stormgate, is that we've really come to see that we need to design a team mode from the ground up. Um, we're going to have one v one competitive, which uh, is going to appeal to core RTS fans, fans of very hardcore StarCraft II and Warcraft III. But at the same time, I think we're going to be the first RTS to kind of make a three v three mode that is uh, completely divorced, or rather divorced, from the rule set of 1v1. Um, So in our team battle mode, um, we're not necessarily going to have the same win condition, and we're going to design everything from the ground up such that it makes sense for a team mode. Um, Traditionally, in RTS, you see kind of team modes as being an afterthought. You kind of just take the 1v1 mode, and you copy and paste the rules from there. But um, we're going to try to build it from the ground up.
2: Yeah, because that's always been an issue is is the balance. People are talking about, especially with all the balance talk we've had in the last month of, in Warcraft, Is like, oh, but if you do that for 1v1, you're going to screw up the 4v4. So I, I'd really like to hear that you're actually taking it separate, same mechanics, same idea, same game, same units in a way, but different, you know, chain, not afraid to change the rule set around it. I think that's very, very important knowing about how people have been talking about 4v4 recently. Mm-hmm.
0: What would be an yeah. example of a new win condition? Something like capture yeah. the Flag, or what do you think about?
1: Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of uh, win conditions traditionally in RTS. Um, so the, the big one that we see in Warcraft 3 and Starcraft 2, all the Blizzard RTSs really, um, I would call Annihilation, where you try to eliminate... The enemy opponent. And I think that runs into a bunch of problems. It has a bunch of benefits, first of all. Um, It allows the game to be very open ended. So it's kind of an open sandbox as to how you play. You can turtle, you can expand, you can mast air, you can do whatever you want, basically. Um, However, one of the downsides we've seen is number one, it kind of the real win condition with RTS is kind of like you demoralize your opponents into (laughs) giving up. Um, And the second. And, and the a, second, the second is um, is that in a team game you can potentially be eliminated, and we uh, and when we look into other uh, team genres such as MOBA, such as FPS, that's not really uh, a constant. When you are killed, quote unquote, you uh, some, uh, somewhat instantly or after a brief period revive. So one of the things that we're looking to is uh, kind of removing the idea of annihilation and. Even though we give up the more open-ended aspect of it, we allow for players to um, kind of uh, persist in the battle so that you don't get eliminated from the fight. So as to your original question, what are some alternate conditions? Um, We're taking a look at a lot of alternate win conditions that have existed in in other RTSs. So for example, um, in Supreme Commander or um, in many MOBAs, for instance, there's the idea of assassination where you... Uh, you kill a singular hero or you kill a singular um, building such as a nexus in order to win we're also looking at other win conditions um, for example those that come from um, relic games company of heroes and dawn of war where it's kind of a capture the flag mechanic Um, we don't have anything to specific to announce um, with regarding our win condition but those are some just some of the um, areas we're drawing inspiration from
0: sounds pretty exciting for the team game uh... Uh, Team gamers, I guess, but let's um, roll it back a little bit. You just revealed Stormgate and I think the biggest thing we can take away from it is of course the name, it's out there now, and the setting. You mentioned quite a few times already that the main inspiration was of course the Blizzard RTS, StarCraft and WarCraft. The setting uh, feels to me like a little bit of both. It's like sci-fi post-apocalyptic, but also some fantasy elements. Is that uh, correct?
1: Yeah, I would I would say that's a fairly accurate description. We wanted to um our, our goals with the setting are to make it um, distinct from Blizzard, Blizzard RTS styles and uh, settings, however, we want um, everything to be uh, in a foundation where people can kind of relate to. People have a jumping-off point, such that when you come into our game, you're not immediately lost at the the endless amount of um, like the 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 lore or the like to get a jumping-off point. Um, so yeah, our setting. or really excited about our setting. Um, a stormgate um, is a portal. In which uh, these demons are coming uh, into uh, invade Earth, and yes, even though it's going to be a post-apocalyptic setting, I think one thing I want to emphasize is that uh, unlike a lot of post-apocalyptic settings, it's not super morbid. You know, there wasn't ac- a quote-unquote apocalypse at one point, but people are recovering from it, um, and you know, just when the humans are recovering, um, they get hit again with another storm gate. Um, something happens, and you'll find out more about it in our campaigns.
0: Cool. Yeah, that uh yes yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh that sounds to me like you have a lot of um a lot of freedom with that setting as well because you can use the sci-fi elements you can also play around with magic a little bit was that part of the decision as well the freedom that the setting uh, gives you?
1: Oh yeah totally. Um since we uh, on our team we're big fans of Warcraft, we're big fans of uh, StarCraft, we're big fans of um, Diablo, which shares some um, similarities here. Um, we like the idea, honestly. Like as a nerd, you get to play with all these like little toys in our game.
2: Carson. Yeah. Uh, was there many other like ideas because me and Neo on the last podcast, we were sort of just brainstorming in preparation for for the announcement. And we were trying to think of different settings. And I think I came up with like one that wasn't either StarCraft or Warcraft. I thought of like cyberpunk. I think Neo had a couple. But because it seems like between StarCraft and Warcraft, they, they've covered so many different themes and stuff. Were there many others that you guys were throwing around that were unique before you came came upon this idea? Or have we pretty much covered all of them in the RTS genre so far?
1: Oh, I think there's an endless number of of uh, of settings you could explore. I th- I know like in our initially we had something like we just like spitballed around ten that were in serious consideration, and then mm-hmm. we narrowed it down to three. And I think what we have right now is is kind of a combination of maybe around two of them. It's right. been so long that we've talked about setting on our team um, that I actually cannot recall what other settings were up for debate. But I think just in general. Um, how you approach RTS? You, I think you can approach it in one of two ways. Um, the first is kind of more the Blue style, where it's very fantastical and you just kind of can do whatever. And the other end is uh, more rooted in realism. For example, like mm-hmm. the Company of Heroes franchise, and somewhat the Red Alert series, but not not really. Um, and I actually really enjoy a lot of aspects of Company of Heroes in that it's very realistic. And the game does a really good job of making you feel like you're part of World War II or just any war in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the the unit designs are great, the sound design is awesome. Um, but I think one thing that um, that approach takes away is that gameplay is not necessarily first. Um, the 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 setting is, it kind of limits you into what you can do, right? You can't have like these spaceships coming into the, to the World, War, uh, II, uh, World War II setting. You can't, um, well, like air units can't be like too big a factor that just float around and, and like cover around every year. Right. So with our choice and setting, we, um, we purposely made it so that we do have the freedom to um, engage with any types of units, any types of mechanics that we want. For sure.
0: Sounds pretty promising indeed. You mentioned gameplay already. This has always been the big strength of the Blizzard RTS. I think it feels very responsive, I guess, and this is probably what you approach as well. What is your your main thing that makes a Blizzard RTS, and what is your philosophy in recreating and even improving on that?
1: Right, so um, I think like there's a lot of things that really define a Blizzard RTS. You have things like the amount of asymmetry that's in the different factions. Well, starting from after World Warcraft II, obviously. And then you have uh, kind of the economy design um, with two uh, resources per faction, um, again, starting from post-Warcraft 2, But I think that the main thing that really defines a Blizzard-style RTS, or um, it, Blizzard RTSs in general, is the idea of extreme responsiveness and um, really smooth pathfinding. Um, that I think StarCraft II has really set a very high bar on, and I think a lot of when a lot of people these days get into an RTS, they see that, oh, I'm comparing it to StarCraft II, and this doesn't really necessarily feel as smooth as I remember it from SC2, and therefore I'm jumping ship. Um, so one of our core pillars, one of the things that we really are striving towards, is the idea that you're going to have crisp responsiveness, you're going to have um, um, you're going to have very smooth pathfinding. Um, I know the analogy that I made um, in one of the presentations you guys attended, one of the pre-brief summits, is the idea of a crispy piece of fried chicken that, when you when you bite into it, you get an audible crisp, and you get a um, you get a you get a crunch in your mouth. So it's all these senses being um, uh, being overwhelmed. And you're really like feeling that the RTS is listening to your commands. So not only is it the, the responsiveness, it's also the, the f- feedback. Um, the, when you click, something happens. There's an audible sound, there's a response from your mouths. Um, and in order to achieve all those things, the, the crisp pathfinding and the responsiveness, um, we've built what we call Snowplay, um, which is a custom uh, built, highly configurable and a highly configurable and extremely efficient gameplay simulation. Um, That unlocks low bandwidth multiplayer game features. Um, We're building it on top of the Unreal Engine, and it's going to be something custom that um, no other RTS is going to have. In addition, this system is being built by or being led by James Anhalt, who was the uh, the lead, the chief architect of the pathfinding system in StarCraft II. So we have a lot of confidence going into the idea that we're going to be as responsive, if not more responsive, and have better pathfinding than what we did with StarCraft II.
2: Wow, yeah, you mentioned better. Some, oh, my God. <laughs>
0: better. Yeah, that's, oh, a, that's a big goal indeed. You mentioned the Unreal Engine. Um, we heard back to Warcraft. We play a 20-year-old game, right? We have no idea what that even means. So can you, for the uneducated uh, old-schoolers here, explain what's so great about the Unreal Engine 5?
1: Yeah, Unreal Engine is just a great... Um base for building just games in general. Um, It is one of the most respected or um, possibly the most highly respected um, engine in the AAA industry. Um, um, Basically, especially with Unreal 5, we unlock a lot of um, uh, key features such as Lumen and Nanite, which I probably can't go too in depth into, but it's going to allow for um, really Great graphics, readable graphics, of course. We don't want to be uh, <laughs> you can too say many it. colors and everything. You can say it, yeah. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about, so <laughs> I'm going to move on. Um, but just to give you the idea of detail, um, our, the trailer that you've seen uh, on June 9th um, was completely made uh, in-engine in Unreal 5. So that's kind of the quality that you can expect.
0: That's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Since we're touching a little bit on Warcraft here, of course, we talked a little bit about of- About the gameplay, uh, I want to know more about the gameplay. Like, how do you envision your average one-on-one Stormgate match?
1: Right. So with Stormgate, one of our we have a lot of uh, gameplay tenets, but I think one of our um, top tenets is the idea of territory control, and that's the idea that there's tension between the benefits of controlling territory. And um, also the number of threats it opens up, so there's a push-pull dynamic there. Um, so StarCraft Two kind of handled that with expansions. Um, when you expand, you gain more resources, and you are able, but you also open yourself to more avenues of attack. Um, in Warcraft Three, that's handled by map objectives and such as. Uh, well, creeps is the main one, and also uh, like mercenary camps, uh, item shops, and health fountains. So we're going to be an RTS that really focuses on that um, that territory control. Um, in terms of moment-to-moment gameplay, um, as I mentioned. We're really going to focus on uh, expanding is going to be a big part of it, Um, uh, that kind of uh, high uh, macro opportunity. Um, And the idea that you can kind of multitask over the map is something that we're going to focus on. At the same time, we're taking a lot of inspiration from Warcraft 3 as well. For instance, we're uh, moving closer to the low lethality of Warcraft 3. Um, we think that in Starcraft the very high lethality in that game creates a lot of punishing moments where you weren't looking for a second and then your entire army died. Um, we want the idea we, we like the idea that there's more opportunities to micro and there's more opportunities to uh, not lose your army instantly. Um, in addition, there's a lot of asymmetries in Warcraft 3 that we're looking to such as um, the amount of asymmetry in mining. Um, that doesn't really exist in Starcraft 2 and I, we think that is really interesting. Um, and another thing, creep camps. That's something that we talked about. Um, I, we think creep camps uh, are interesting in that they provide an object mid-map objective that players um, have to fight over, and there's a cool territory control there. Um, however, we think one aspect of creep camps that could be improved on is um, after you take all the creep camps on the map, for instance, right? What often happens in endgame is you just kind of camp in your base and then yep. max out and then fight. Um, so. Uh, the creep camps are interesting in that they provide a temporary mid-map objective, but they're—it's not something that you fight over uh, the course of a game for, and I, we think there could be improvements there.
0: Since yeah, you mentioned I'm- creep camps, oh, sorry, Carson, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that is a big thing in Warcraft. Like as good as it is, like you have a lot of objectives, I think for the first 10, 12 minutes, but in pro games, because people are so efficient with their creeping, especially in the meta we're in, you end up with a lot of stalemate positions where you both just again sit in your bases. So I think the idea of like respawning objectives is really, really important because the most exciting part of the game tends to be in Warcraft, at least for me, like the 25 minute, the 30 minute, the 40 minute games where you're super late, but to have an extra objective would make those super late game scenarios much yeah, more interesting.
1: I, yeah, totally. I don't. I don't know like what the the general community consensus is, but I've really been um, enjoying Warcraft um, over the past few years compared to maybe in the two thousand ten era because um, expansions are more commonplace. You mm-hmm. use very often take that second expansion for the in general most races can take that second expansion, and it's not no longer always going to be a battle of one base versus one base, for instance.
0: Mm-hmm. So since you mentioned creep camps, uh, in Warcraft, you creep these camps to get experience for your hero and level them up. Is that the same in Stormgate?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to preface everything in this interview with where everything is still in development and we're still iterating on things. But right now, we definitely are experimenting with heroes across all our game modes. Um, And heroes in our game will be more similar to that of... um, I would say like a mogul con where they they don't level up, um, but they're still a, a key unit in battle. Um, two of the things that when, when we analyzed uh, heroes in Warcraft 3 and in Starcraft 2, um, we came to the conclusion that heroes provide a lot of benefits um, to RTS gameplay, but the two we really wanted to avoid, or the two negatives we wanted to avoid were the threat of over-centralization and um, the threat of snowballing. So one aspect of Warcraft 3 is that um, whenever you lose a unit to the enemy, you it, it is tracked permanently on your enemy's hero, on the opponent's hero. Um, and that creates kind of a snowball mechanic where if your heroes um, are super high level, it can kind of feel like it's sometimes it's impossible to come back. Um, there are anti-snowball mechanics built into that. For example, um, hero killing is kind of a... Kind of a comeback mechanic, the antithesis of snowballing. In that, if you kill your enemy's hero, it takes a longer time to revive them, and it takes it's much more costly to revive them um, if they are a higher level. However, however, we f- still feel that overall it is a net snowball. Um, the other thing is the threat of over centralization. We like the idea of that you can kind of um, separate your army and split your army um, across multiple parts of the map. And in Warcraft Three. One of the aspects is that heroes uh, force players to kind of group up in kind of a, a death ball way. I wouldn't necessarily blame that primarily all on heroes, but there's um, there's some aspects of the of Warcraft Three that kind of um, kind of encourage that. For example, there's no type of zergling unit that can do a lot of harassment damage across the map, and there's no such thing as. Um, um, there's no such thing as like a dark swarm that pr- that protects these zergling units, there's no such thing as marine drops that can do catastrophic damage um, in very small groups. So part of it is going to be the unit design, but however, part of it is going to be um, the leveling aspect of heroes that necessitates everyone to group up around the auras and around like the healing abilities, for instance. So I guess, long answer short, um, we are Currently planning to have uh, heroes in our game in some degree, but we, um, we they will not necessarily scale over time as they do in Warcraft Three, um, with experience.
2: Yeah, no levels, no experience, probably no items. I would imagine. Is that anything you guys have thought about? Of creep yeah. camps. So, what exactly would creep camps give? It would be resources in your in your view, or or what are you thinking with that?
1: I, I think there's a lot of things that creep camps can give. Uh, resources is is a big one, for instance. Um, uh, uh, rune Drops, for instance. So right. basically you have runes in Warcraft 3, kind of similar idea there. Mm-hmm. Um, rune Drops that drop wards or, or watchtowers or or speed boost or defense boost or whatever kind of boosts. Um, but we have a lot of ideas there as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So how should I envision a hero that can't level? Because if you can't level, you can't get new skills. So they have a, a fixed skill set at the moment, of course.
1: Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I would we again everything is uh, up in the somewhat up in the air right now but um, we imagine a lot of different ways to improve your heroes uh, over the course of the game with with upgrades for instance Um, so we still don't want the heroes to be extremely overwhelming um, but that is one aspect that we're focusing on.
0: Sounds like a pretty good middle ground. Um, We talked a little bit about the problems of RTS already and now we talked a little bit about the gameplay and it sounds like you have like you said it you have to do a Lot of multitasking and it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world So how do you want to lower the entry barrier for new players to the RTS genre? So they're not overwhelmed by doing 400 APM every single game
1: Yeah, we have a lot of ideas there, um, but uh, to with that um, one of our goals is definitely going to be to lower the skill ceiling, but at the same, or the skill floor rather, I get those mixed up all the time. But at the same time, we definitely don't want to uh, lower the skill ceiling as well. We, um, we have a great respect for the skill it takes to play Blizzard-style RTSs, and we want to maintain that skill. However, we uh, want to, um, we, we definitely want to make it easier for newer players to engage with RTS. And I would say we're approaching this from a lot of ways. Number one, we're going to have a lot of different modes for players to enter into. Um, p- players don't have to go with PvP as the end goal. They can go into a PvP, uh, PvE mode, which we saw a lot in StarCraft 2. Number two, onboarding. We're going to have a lot of onboarding tools for each of the, um, each of the different game modes. And specifically, we're going to have strong onboarding tools for you to uh, recruit a, a friend into our game with. Uh, number three we're going to have a lot of uh, ux improvements um, things that a lot that lower the the entry to uh, barrier to entry into RTS but still allow players to um, still allow higher level of players to engage with more complicated uh, skills than um, than a newer player and number four with uh gameplay we think there's a a lot of um, techniques in RTS that have been um, refined over time. And I'll just give you some examples. Um, from Starcraft 1, we have uh, the reaver drop. Um, the reaver drop has a lot of immense skill um, in it because of the acceleration properties of the shuttle. Um, this, a, a newbie level player controlling a reaver drop. Um, is miles different from a pro player, because you actually have to control the speed of the shuttle and use precise, um, not only um, clicks, but also you have to use the precise um, uh, movement commands along with, the, with the, um, uh, just the total package, movement mm-hmm. and um, controls. Um, and another example I like to give from Warcraft 3 is the idea of autocast. cast um, And I'll, I'll use slow as the, as the best example. So when a sorceress comes out, it has autocast slow on. And as a newbie player, I can just leave it on the entire time and it'll just slow everything reasonably well. But as a pro player, um, I'll want to turn it off when I'm creeping. And if I only have one Sorceress, I might want to manually cast Slow. And third, uh, Slow only auto-casts on enemies that are attacking you. So I might want to manually cast it um, on a retreating enemy. Um, So those are some ideas of um, where... It's an auto-cast ability, lowers the barrier to entry. It allows you to use the Sorceress in a reasonably manageable state, but at the same time, it allows for higher-skilled players to engage with flow and get like the most out of the ability.
2: Right. Yeah. this is uh this is kind of just a random maybe dumb question i just it keeps coming to my mind when we talk about mechanics and just random gameplay uh is blocking something you guys have thought about or something that's possible with given the uh, the level of pathing that you have because i think just blocking is such and blocking and surrounding is such an interesting part of warcraft but it's not necessarily it may be a little bit in starcraft 2 is that something you guys have thought about or, or tr- are going to try to implement in some way yeah we definitely thought about it um it's i can't guarantee anything for sure sh- for sure, but it's
1: it's something um, that is definitely in a document somewhere that of things that mm-hmm. we'd like to try. Um, right. Specifically, uh, one of the things we're thinking about is and this is something we definitely have to first prototype and then implement and see if it works well or not. Is the idea that maybe your um, y- your units are able to block enemy units but not your own units? Right. Um, we think. Blocking in Warcraft 3, it's interesting when you're doing it to your opponent, but when you're doing it to yourself or your allies, it can be extremely frustrating. So um, one of the hidden tricks in Starcraft 2 is actually that your units treat your allies' units differently in terms of pathing than your opponents' units. And there's a lot of tweaks that we can do there.
2: Very cool. Yeah, I was I was screaming playing ladder last night when I TP'd in my base and got stuck behind a kind uh, of tower. Uh, so yeah, I, I get what you mean exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah, another detailed question maybe because this came up um, in the wake of Reforged. I think um, is that in Warcraft you have limited control groups with uh 12 units and in starcraft of course you don't have that so the big discussion was uh, should you remove that 12 unit limitation and should you maybe introduce something like the f2 key for starcraft that selects all your units and send them somewhere uh what's your stance on that where where's your position in terms of control group limitations and uh hotkeys that make things easier
1: um i think those are both uh both uh Unlimited control groups or very high uh, numbers of units in a control group, and the F2 key are both innovations at StarCraft II that um, allow newer players to get into them very uh, much more easily. Um, And those are some of kind of the innovations that we're kind of looking to expand on and to uh, push forth even further in order to allow players to engage with it even more. the the F two key, for instance, in StarCraft is something that even pro players engage with a lot. So it's not necessarily even um, a key that um, a key that you is necess- just for newbie players. I mm. think in a game like Warcraft two with a uh, Warcraft three with a lower number of units, it's less necessary, as is unlimited control groups. But I think it would still be a nice thing to have. Um, I, I think in Warcraft three, uh, relative to Brood War, where like, you really, really wanted unlimited control groups in order to control your army. And Zerg was balanced around the idea that you didn't have unlimited control groups. Um, I think in Warcraft 3, it's a, it's a lot necess- necessary.
0: How big do you envision your armies in this, in your game? Because in Warcraft, we have like 100 supply food. Uh-huh. In, the, in Starcraft, it's like 200. How big should armies be?
1: Yeah, I think the the supply metric sometimes can be a misleading because I could have a 500 supply limit and all my units cost like 10 food, right? (laughs) Um, But I would say overall in our game, um, we're looking for army sizes that um, can potentially... Um, on one end, Eclipse, the number that was set in StarCraft II, but at the other end, um, maybe something closer to Warcraft III. So it's going to depend on the factions, um, but we're going to try to have a very disparate, um, uh, 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 varied level of play in terms of what kind of armies you can control.
2: Right. Yeah, and I guess if you want to have high time to kill or at least higher than starcraft 2 i suppose if the armies are then also bigger than starcraft 2 that might pose a problem in fights are extremely long which i guess is not a bad thing if fights are really long i i know i'm a fan of human mirror but maybe some people aren't, <laughs> but i suppose that might serve some complications but uh yeah i definitely think it'd be interesting to finally play a game with bigger armies yeah. and that also have a little bit of micro ability in that, too.
1: Human Mirror, you haven't seen the Night Elf Mountain Giant Mirror
2: yet. <laughs> I remember Glaive Mirror, but I have not had the pleasure of seeing Mountain Giant Mirror. No, Monk.
1: All right, let's move away
0: from gameplay a little bit. I think we talked this uh, quite extensively now. Um, what's our business model going to be? Because uh, that is... Uh, the talk of the town in the gaming industry at the moment, right? Like with uh, Diablo Immortal being super pay to win. How do you want to w- make money? What's your model?
2: It's Diablo Immortal, by the way, not Immortal. Uh, Thank you. Sorry, As a former ahead. Blizzard employee, no comment on that.
1: But <laughs> with our game, um, we are going to be free to play at launch, and we will. But at the same time, we will feature uh, no pay to win mechanics and no NFTs. Um, so. In terms of free-to-play, you will get an initial chapter of our comp- campaign. You will get access to some heroes, which will be available in competitive multiplayer and our PvE cooperative mode um, with the um, with the option to purchase more uh, chapters of campaign and more skins and whatnot um, in the future. Um, we'll be releasing new story chapters, new heroes and new skins in these cosmetics um, in seasons. And um, the, the reason we're doing this is that um, we're, as a development team, we have to be able to sustain ongoing development in a way that allows for um, our game, our team, and our community to thrive for years to come. Um, even in competitive multiplayer, we think it's very important to, for the developer to be invested in the game in, in years to come, and, um, and that is what allows us to fuel development um, in order to support our game, in order to have constant patches, whether it be balance patches, whether it be feature patches. Um, and a lot of this is really inspired from our days back in StarCraft Two. So back in in the StarCraft Two days, we transitioned StarCraft Two from a box product to a free to play games as a service model. Um, we felt like this had a very strong net positive as a result, um, and. Uh, we we were able to recruit a lot of new players with this transition, and a lot of players actually stuck around a lot. So we're gonna be trying a similar approach with our upcoming game, um, which will include a closed beta um, that will help us to polish features and set expectations um, before we launch with a version 1.0. And then after that 1.0, we're gonna release with a a constant um, beat of new story and gameplay elements in order to keep uh, players excited um for years to come
2: very cool Yeah. specifically on skins you probably get asked this question so often and you probably internally you know maybe have had some debates but uh for competitive games i think skins are normally uh debated upon whether or not they're a good thing i think especially in rts games having a unit look one way and you get used to that unit looking one way and then it to be changed depending on a new skin pack that comes out or something like this um, maybe is something that people could be against. What what is your your view on this? And is this something you're actually going to implement, or am I do I have this wrong here?
1: Yeah, we're definitely going to have um, uh, army or unit skins in our mm-hmm. game. Um, and um, in terms of RTS, we learned a lot of valuable lessons from when we were in StarCraft Two. We mm-hmm. didn't necessarily get skins right all the time, but uh, hopefully we learned those lessons. So, for example, we learned a lot about the how the shape language and the um, and how colors affect skins. So for instance, um, we we had uh, Stalkers and Immortals, and a a lot of those skins looked very similar to each other, and sometimes players couldn't tell them apart. So from the baseline, one of our goals is going to be to, um, number one, design the units so that they look more disparate from each other, especially units like the Stalker and the Immortal. And number two, make sure that these skins um, reflect the shape language of the original unit. Um, another uh, aspect of it is the importance of color um one of the examples that i come to my mind is the baneling and the baneling is iconic for its kind of green uh little circle that it's on on its body that uh, houses this uh, explosive group and what we learned is like compared to every other color in the game or other color language in the game that was super iconic and if you remove that if you change that color to like a purple or like an orange for example um you uh, disallow players from being able to identify the bandling as quickly. Maybe right. they can identify it with like a half second delay, but that's still very, um, that's still pretty uh, impactful in the context of ha- fast paced RTS. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say overall, we're going to be looking at um, individual uh, unit skins. And if some of them are, we're, we're going to be looking very carefully to make sure the units read um, similarly to how they did in um how they originally do but at the same time um we and we're going to be working with them on an individual basis
2: yeah suppose it's a it's a that's a big thing when it comes to skins actually that i never thought of it's not necessarily the unit looks different from itself it's that two units already mm-hmm. look similar and then you change one and then you can't differentiate between the two units that look similar before that's i think that's a really good point so yeah if they all look unique in their own right changing them a little bit color wise or something maybe isn't going to be that Impactful, right? Gotcha. Yeah, like
1: it's it's funny because um, part of the problem comes from the the fact that the stalker and the dragoon, or the stalker and the immortal, are basically dragoons 2.0. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it, the problem comes from the idea that uh, it's StarCraft 2, right? So we don't necessarily have those restrictions, restrictions, so we're mm-hmm. more free to go like hog wild in terms of what our what our units, uh, the shape of our units, look like. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Um, you mentioned the campaign quite a bit. You mentioned that they will be released in chapters. I think that's uh, the starting point of all the new players. Of course, there's the competitive players of all the Warcraft and Starcraft guys who will jump straight into ladder. But if you want to get to know the game, I guess you start as a single player in the campaign. Why the Stormgate have a better campaign than what's out there at the moment where it's oftentimes like build a base, destroy your enemy. There's one or two objectives. What's special about the Stormgate campaign?
1: Well, what number one? What's special about the Storm camp, Stormgate campaign is that it's going to be led by the lead campaign designer of uh, Warcraft Three. And personally, I would say that Warcraft Three and StarCraft Two are like definitely, uh, in my very uh, biased opinion, the two best RTS campaigns of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially Warcraft Three was the best for its time. Like I think StarCraft Two arguably might be better. But uh, Warcraft Three was a much bigger jump from what existed before. Um, we learned a lot from the days, uh, from like the Starcraft One days, where your bases were like really far from the minerals, and like every mission was, uh, would defeat the enemy mission. So we're going to be taking a lot of lessons there from just all the various, um, uh, all the various. Previous Blizzard RTSs that we worked on. Um, And what's different about our campaign is that, uh, number one, we're going to have the ability to play cooperatively um, with your friends. Um, I mentioned earlier that social RTS is really um, a large part of what we're going to be about, and that's going to be reflected in all game modes, whether it's uh, campaign, cooperative, competitive, or user-generated content. Um, another aspect is we're going to be releasing uh, campaign content over um, the over the course of our of our lifetime. So we're going to initially just have a, a, some introductory campaigns, and then every season or so, every uh, I don't want to uh, commit to a time period, but every so one
2: often, per month. Oh,
1: <laughs> one per month. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll get back on that one as well, but we're going to release campaigns over time and we're going to allow players to follow the campaign over time. And from a competitive standpoint, um, we're going to be releasing these seasons um, alongside the competitive season so that there will be a natural uh, starting and stopping point for players if they kind of uh, leave the game and then have a natural time to come back into the game. Um, This is really inspired from actually streamers such as you guys. Um, I think one thing that I've heard is that one of the most important parts of streaming is that you are very consistent you come on you you come on and you come off at every single uh, the same time every single day and we think it's a travesty for if a player churns or leaves our game that they don't know when the next um, jumping on point is so we're mm. gonna we're, we want to be committed to regular seasons so that there is content drops of cooperative of campaign of uh, competitive, such that players can can jump on to such so, so that players know when the next jumping on point, and we're hoping to align that with our esports as well, where we um, um, where after a season ends, new content will be dropped, and therefore ev- the whole ecosystem is kind of uh, working with itself across all game modes.
0: Okay, so I'm getting a little giddy about esports already, but I have to cl- like I have to uh, ask for a clarification. You can play the main story of us of your game with a friend it's not like co-op uh in in starcraft where it's like dedicated co-op missions but you can play the main story of the game with your friend right
1: that's correct we we don't have um a set we we don't have anything to announce today in terms of how that will happen but um social rts gameplay is definitely i would say the message to uh all of this
0: that sounds pretty new and innovative to me. So let's talk esports. We're an esports channel here. Um, you mentioned the four pillars. How important is esports or competitive uh, among the four pillars of Stormgate?
1: Yeah, we see um, esports to be kind of um, kind of core to what RTS is. Um, from, from like coming back from the StarCraft Two team, right? We believe that uh, StarCraft Two. Is really intertwined with streaming and esports in general because it was, I would argue, the first uh, really modern esport and the f- first esport that brought around the, um, uh, that launched kind of Twitch and streaming mm-hmm. in general. Um, so we have a lot of roots there. In addition, um, um, our biggest investor right now is Kakao Games. Um, I don't know how much you guys are familiar with the little Kakao sound but that is one of the biggest companies in Korea. So we are very committed to uh, esports. So I would say, yeah, esports is very important and we have a lot of cool plans uh, surrounding esports. The the first most important thing is we plan to have uh, what we call integrated esports in which uh, players can engage with the esports within the client. So all you have to do is press play and you're there. Um, this will uh, hopefully uh, lower the barrier to entry where you don't have to go to like a Battlefly or like, a, like a, some kind of fracket system and, you, and tournament organizers. It'll be easier for tournament organizers such as yourselves to uh, engage with our game. Um, another aspect is that we will uh, we plan to reward players for engaging with the esports. So if you play in a tournament, We um, and you either participate or win. It doesn't really, it it depends on, um, it it really doesn't depend too much, but um, we will give you in game rewards as well. So uh, there could kind of be a push pull uh, mechanism there in order to encourage players to engage with esports if they'd like. And also, as I mentioned before, we hope to amplify game moments with eSports. The eSports tournament timing and the seasons will be aligned with the cycle of content, so hopefully eSports seasons will naturally flow into uh, new chapters of both content and the lifespan of our game itself. And maybe um, there could be some cool integrations with the winners of a tournament um, and what happens in the uh, next campaign season. Who knows? Ooh.
0: Okay, since we are like a burned child here at the Warcraft uh, scene, can you promise me right here, right now, that at launch there's a ladder for Stormgate?
1: Uh, I would say that with one uh, version 1.0, uh, when we initially, when we first announce our game, or when we first launch our game, there will be a ladder.
0: Wonderful! I hold Yay. It too. that's all we need. <laughs> we'll, we'll be good. We'll
2: be playing for twenty years with just that alone, Monk. We'll be we'll be good to go.
0: All right. So does this mean that you are also running your own tournament uh, similar to like Riot is running Worlds or Valve is doing their, their circuit?
1: Um, so uh, uh, first of all, I'm not the esports guy, uh, so I would have to defer to Trevor there. But overall, I would say we want to uh, we're still working on our plans. Um, however, we want to make sure that our esports are going to be very sustainable, and we hope to uh, work with tournament organizers and the community such as yourselves um, in order to make sh- ensure that um, we can have sustainable esports for a long time to come.
0: Does that include so you're- that you're able to watch games in client like a Dota TV, like a Flow TV?
1: Uh, That's not something we can announce today, but it's something that we have been uh, looking into both right now and in our times on the StarCraft 2 team.
0: While you're watching these games, if that's a thing later on, um, any features for observers like a uh, rewind function, like a UI? Is that uh, not necessarily a priority, but is that something on your list?
1: So um, Again, uh, Ryan Shooter, aka GameHeart, the Um, person who kind of really started all this observing stuff in Starcraft 2 is on our team so that's very dear and important to his heart Um, and as a baseline what we're going to aim towards is the replay functionality that was released at the launch of Wings of Liberty so that does include things such as uh, speed up, slow down pause, uh, rewind um,
2: the whole shebang
0: Sounds good. Carson I cut you off again I think
2: Uh, What was I going to say? Oh yeah, because you mentioned uh, like community, community-driven tournaments and stuff. So you're not looking to take the the tyrant approach of of a Riot Games, where it's like, no, you can only play our tournaments. You can only run, you can only play in tournaments if they're run by us. So I think you guys are pretty open to community tournaments, uh, community casters, and all that sort of stuff. It, um, you know, and casters not getting fired if they say Counter Strike when they're casting a Valorant match, stuff <laughs> like that, sort of deal. You guys, are, you guys are pretty chill with all that. Um, at least at a sort of a baseline. Well, you can you can save you can reference Warcraft all you want. Um,
1: okay, it's a good. game. It's a game that we enjoy on our team, and uh, we would be honored if you would make comparisons uh, to Warcraft Three while you're casting one of the Stormgate matches.
2: <laughs> Beautiful, and and community community tournaments are gonna be are gonna be a thing you guys are open with as well, not just necessarily Frost Giant Run tournaments.
1: Yeah, not only do our, do we want to support community tournaments, we want to um, more integrate them into the path to pro. Uh, such that um, the whole ecosystem, the whole eSports e- ecosystem is very robust and uh, very cohesive. Right, gotcha.
0: Okay, so we talked campaign. Um, you at StarCraft were pretty much responsible for the co-op. Can you share some some insights on the Stormgate co-op?
1: Yeah, so Stormgate co-op. Um, so what I imagine Stormgate co-op to be, compared to every other mode, is going to be uh, kind of the next iteration of StarCraft II co-op. Um, Star- when we had released StarCraft II co-op, which is a uh, PvE cooperative mode in which you and one ally campaign uh, play in campaign-style objectives in 2015 with Legacy of the Void, um, or the team itself was like, maybe players would play it for like 10 hours, and it was a, it's a cool thing that players can engage with for just 10 hours, but um, it became much more popular than... Um, than we initially thought it would be. Um, instead of playing for tens of hours, players would play for hundreds or even thousands of hours. And in order to appeal to, um, to, appeal to that player base, we had to kind of like redefine our entire pipeline. Um, and we had to uh, assign a much bigger team than we expected to create this content. Um, so the benefit of this was players got more content. However, because we didn't know whether, like, which year would be our last year, we always went into the mindset of, we're going to do the next next best thing for our players. We're going to make the next um, best update that we can. And every year we did that. So every subsequent year, this is is truly the next best thing. But at the end of things, it was kind of like a Jenga tower where things didn't fall into place very well. Um, But the pieces were not built with each other in mind. And... um, and it was not as cohesive as we would like it to be. So with Stormgate, we're kind of thinking it from the ground up. How do we make, how do we make Stormgate PVE cooperative um, the best it can be and build a cohesive system? Some things we're gonna try to do. Number one, a greater social experience with, the, uh, with three players in co-op. This allows for uh, more interesting cooperation and more, as I like to call it, wombo combos, in which you can support your ally in a, in a, in a more interesting way. We're also going to have more opportunities for cooperation. In StarCraft II co-op, we designed with the mentality that players should be able to um, solo the map if they wanted to. So in our game, maybe they can, but it will be very difficult. However, we want to make bonuses. We want to make team play. Um, give you extremely large bonuses, um, such that you are very, very highly encouraged to play around with your allies. I think that's one thing that uh, Warcraft 3 actually does relatively well. Um, the idea of I holy light an enemy, uh, my ally, and that feels really good. Um, it, it means that my ally took resources that he had and essentially gave them to me. He gave me his mana in exchange for my health and um, Good job, Ally. You did it. You, you helped me a lot there, and I think there's a lot of good feelings around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and number uh, number three, and perhaps most importantly, we're going to have a very a very robust progression system um, that allows you to both uh, increase in power in PVE and also. Um, Change uh, your your skill set. In StarCraft Two, we had very binary choices of do you want more power uh, with more, for example, with more attack or more health. So for us, we're going to have we're going to use the idea of um, well, we plan to use the idea of something like items in which we can swap in and out different abilities. So for example, my fire mage or my mage now does fire damage. No, it does ice damage now, and you can switch it to lightning damage even. So basically greater opportunities for uh both progression and customization so a lot of exciting things happening in co-op as
2: well very cool
0: all right we covered that and then we uh have one pillar left and that is something for our friends from the hive workshop shout out user generated content tell me everything about the editor and the next dota that comes out of stormgate (laughs)
1: uh so uh, coming from the starcraft 2 team um First of all, a lot of uh, uh, people on this team were modders before we um, became game developers, and so we have a lot of people who are very passionate about that sector of, um, of the game. Um, and in terms of improvements, we're going to have improvements um, in two ways. Number one, uh, discoverability. We want to use the lobby system, or something similar to the lobby system that was introduced in, in Warcraft 3. Um, we realized there was a lot of discoverability problems in the Starcraft 2 arcade, Um, in that unless you were already like the top dog, it was very difficult for players to find out about your game. Um, So from the player side, discoverability is a big one. And number two, um, the editor itself. Um, What we plan right now is to combine the power of the StarCraft II editor with the approachability of the Warcraft III editor. Um, It's going to be, and in terms of approachability, number one, it's going to be launched directly within the game client. Um, So it's going to be much more, that is going to be much more discoverable. Um, and also, we uh, our our data editor will include the ability to copy and paste individual units, um, which I know sounds relatively trivial, but it was actually extremely hard in StarCraft Two. Um, I know back when I was working on StarCraft II, it often took something like half a day to copy and paste some of the more complicated units. And you had to know exactly which fields to copy and exactly which fields to paste. Um, so even though it was powerful, not a pleasant user experience, especially if you're, uh, if you're a newbie. Um, we're also going to have a basic and uh, advanced feature modes. So um, for a newbie user to the editor, um, you're going to be able to adjust fields such as HP and, and like attack damage, all those like basic things that a newbie would want to get into. But as an advanced user, you can opt into um, the advanced editing mode in which you can adjust things such as like turn speeds or unit um, like radii, for instance, um, fields that are are more niche and um, you might need to read a few things to to to, to edit properly, I would say. So a lot of, uh, hopefully, improvements there.
2: And with that, will you have sort of... Because I know StarCraft 2, if I'm remembering correctly, has how it sort of had... This is probably very far away at this point. Sort of had a contest for, like, map makers, for melee maps, and for Warcraft 3. Now, obviously, all of our maps are made by the community members. Do you guys have plans for some sort of integrated system to, to help people sort of submit maybe melee maps for competitive play? Or are you guys thinking that it will be just strictly... Frost Giant at this point that are going to make all the standard competitive melee maps?
1: So I, I think um, our um, our journey into competitive map making will be similar to what happened in StarCraft 2 mm-hmm. um, in which uh, initially Frost Giant makes all the maps and then gradually um, as the community becomes more familiar um, with the, both the editor and how to make competitive maps in terms of design, we mm-hmm. uh, onboard some of those maps on as well. For sure. Yeah, even right now, the StarCraft community uh, features 100% uh, community-made maps. So uh, ah, okay. that could be a p- possible direction that we could uh, go towards.
2: Very cool.
0: What we saw in the Chinese client of Warcraft 3, and I think also on uh, on platforms like Steam, is that some map makers or user generators can earn money with what they provide for your game. W- whether it be skins or maps or whatever. Is that something you think about as well?
1: Yeah, that's definitely something we're thinking about in the future. Um, we, we um, It's something that we would have liked in StarCraft 2, but it's something right now we want to build from the base up. Um, right now, we, we don't have any plans to announce, but some ideas we're looking at is the idea um, of something like patronage, where... You uh, are able to subscribe to um, a map maker, something like curation, where which is what happened in StarCraft Two, where we picked uh, uh, we picked uh, individual map makers to feature, and they were able to um, they were able essentially to sell their maps, or a very open ended marketplace similar to what Roblox has. So. This is where we're looking for feedback for um, as a community map maker. Which one of these uh, would you like to? W- would you prefer um, within Stormgate?
0: All right, then I think we're coming to an end about the one-hour mark here. We don't want to steal more of your time. You're a busy man, but uh, let me play Devil's Advocate slash Negative Nancy here now. I heard. So many good things from your presentation last weekend today and from what you told us here. I think the approach is pretty great. The setting is really good. The way you think about RTS and gameplay and systems and eSports and everything. It feels like you're building a utopia for RTS here. But you're still a relatively new and also in comparison small company. So do you maybe do too much at once? Do you want... Too many things at once and perfect too many things at once—is that a risk, or can you calm me down and say that everything will be good?
1: Well, uh, first of all, we are—we uh, come from the Blizzard roots, so we really want to try to um, create the best experience for all our players. One of our tenets is that um, we want—we recognize that every segment of RTS, the four pillars I had mentioned before, it's kind of its own individual. Um, uh, unique sector, so we want to create content that specifically fulfills the needs of that pillar. Um, at the same time, we're building teams. Uh, uh, we're building teams in order to support all those pillars. So one thing that we don't have uh, with respect to Blizzard is um, we don't have. We have a core development team here right now, but we don't have a lot of the supporting. Uh, the supporting cast. We don't have like a, a extremely dedicated marketing de- department that works across five games. We don't have um, like a, a, a large, robust esports department that works a- across five games. So we, it's really up to, I would say um, that's, that's part of why we're doing all this outreach right now. We really we need the community to kind of spread the word about our game um, so that we don't, even though we don't necessarily have the marketing budget, for instance, we are able to get the word out there that, uh, that Stormgate is coming and um, we will try to be the next big RTS.
0: Will certainly help you with that. Um, so maybe a couple of quick fire questions uh, that you can answer with yes, no, or whatever. How many factions will there be?
1: Uh, right now we've announced two factions, um, but it remains to be seen.
0: <laughs> okay. Will there be more than ground and air units? like uh sea naval stuff like that
1: right so um we we thought about naval units a lot especially with respect to uh Warcraft two with respect to Red alert three and uh with respect to age of empires and uh at, um, at least initially with both our um with both our uh, cooperative and competitive modes, we've decided against it um, for two primary reasons. Um, the first is that we think that naval units really limit map design, and that you have to necessarily design um, all your maps with water in mind, or you like kind of limit the sub part of your tech tree to be, oh, you can't use those units right there. And number two, um, we, uh, we think it creates opportunities for players to kind of, um, put themselves into uh, a trap um, in order to make quote unquote the wrong decision for instance if you build too many submarines you just can't and you're overwhelmed with the ground you just can't deal with the ground units at all whereas even if you build let's say um, I don't know if this is the best example but like gargoyles right you can still hit you can still hit ground units pretty effectively even though they are theoretically an anti-air unit even if you build the hippogriff which is the only unit that can attack Uh, ground units, you can still mount an archer on top of it and get some use out of it if you need um, to attack ground. So uh, as a newer player, if I invest too much into C units, um, maybe I put myself in a rough position if the the ground units become, or the ground becomes like the, the highly contested territory.
0: Seems very good to me. How do I get a beta key?
1: All right. This is uh, a great question. I'm glad you asked. You can get uh, sign up for our beta, which uh, will come out in 2023, by going to playstormgate.com. Once again, that is playstormgate.com. Um, and by going to this website, you can also subscribe to our newsletter. And finally... Um, if you uh, go to our wish list on Steam, or you can go to search for Stormgate on Steam and you can wish list it. And that actually helps us a lot as part of the Warcraft community. Um, that would also give us a lot of outreach. That would help us in in terms of um, advertising the game.
0: All right. And I think uh, people heard a lot from you. If they disagree with you and want to give feedback to what you said here today, what's the best way to reach out to the team and, and send feedback? to you guys
1: yeah so one of the cool things that we've been doing um over the past year or so since we've announced is um we have a subreddit uh reddit slash r frost giant um where uh there's been such like amazing rts discussion um over the past few years and um with the announce of our game we're going to actually have a new subreddit um r slash uh, stormgate so um please come to our subreddit and give us feedback we're really listening to we're we've actually read pretty much every comment that's ever been in our subreddit and we will continue to do so uh for stormgate um and as always you feel free to follow us on our social medias um, and tweet at us or or instagram at us or tiktok at us if you would like those are those would be fun Um, and we're going to be looking to all the feedback that's out there um even though I remember initially when we announced our team, there was so much feedback, but it, but eventually we got to all of it.
0: That's devs that actually listen to a community, guys. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, the people now saw the reveal today. They listened to one hour of Monk here today, but they want to hear more. Is there something in the near future where people could find out even more about your game?
1: Yeah. So we're. So I guess today is. June 9th, right? That
0: is correct. The date. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, June 9th. So on, uh, on June 12th, we're actually going to be sh- revealing more information about our game. Um, I don't know exactly where, so. <laughs> You will edit that down here. There's going to be a link down here to where you can find out more information of our game. Isn't that how YouTube works? Like and subscribe, guys.
0: Exactly what it is. Or I can just tell you guys because it's the PC Gaming Show on uh, June 12th on 1230 PDT. So uh, you guys can check out that. Um,
2: Thank you for doing my job, right?
0: (laughs) I'm pretty excited for that. So it's just burned in my head. Uh, That is... 3.30 3:30 PM EDT and 8:30 PM BST PC Gaming Show. More of Frost Giant. Is there any other question from you, Carson? Before we let Monk go,
2: I think I'm chilling. I think I'm chilling. I got. I, I had some Warcraft questions, but I think we'll leave it short, concise. We'll talk about what's important here, and Warcraft isn't important today, Neil. We'll, I'll, today. I'll DM. I'll DM Monk. I'll DM. Well,
1: <laughs> well, I have. Uh, if you ever want to talk about Warcraft, we can do another one of these. Um, I love talking about Warcraft as well. So. Hell feel
0: free yeah. we'll do Bye. a follow-up with this for sure we're going to follow you across the entire stormgate journey is there anything uh you want to mention is there anything uh, you want to uh, leak to the back to warcraft audience about stormgate floor is yours
1: well uh i just want to first of all i don't know if i can call myself a part of the community but it's been really great to be part of you know gym and uh war 3 champions and just hanging around with everyone over the past few um years or so um after i left stark uh, the starcraft team um i was still playing starcraft but i was looking for like to reinvigorate myself with my first love which was warcraft 3 and everyone in, in the warcraft team or in the warcraft scene really um like and like kind of welcomed me into their arms. And I was able to get great coaching to come back into the scene and I was able to make so many friends along the way. So I would just say a a huge shout out to everyone in that scene for um, providing me um, with hours and hours of entertainment, especially you, Carson, who sometimes plays twos with me when i'm bored
2: yeah you you beat my ass at least once a week man yeah you're uh yeah people people forget you're actually you're pretty good people might not know that but uh you're pretty good you're pretty good at warcraft you're no slouch so uh, yeah ggs we'll play we'll play soon, we'll play soon. All right. sounds
0: good everybody Monk, thank you so much for your time and for this incredible insight. We will follow you every step along the way and very much looking forward to the beta and everything else in between. Uh, Follow the guy on Twitter, follow Frostgiant everywhere, follow us here at this channel, ring the bells everywhere. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, Share your feedback about uh, Stormgate and whatever Frostgiant is doing. Thank you very much for watching, listening, whatever you're
1: doing. See you soon.